This is Casey McPherson, and you're listening to Sonic Perspectives. Hey everyone, this is Scott Medina for Sonic Perspectives. Really glad to get to talk to Casey McPherson today. It's just the start of the new year. It's uh, January 17th as, as we talk right now. And Casey, how's the new year going for you so far? Uh, well, it's off with a great start. You know, I've got some kind of cool things lined up. And uh, like I was saying earlier, I'm sitting in a ranch today and and watching chickens and cows and horses so i'm i'm feeling good <laughs> it's a good place to be what what state are you in right now on the farm in texas i live in austin mm-hmm. so i'm outside of austin and brenham fantastic yeah so we're gonna touch base on a few different things uh but why don't we start with the new album that's coming out it's called the case e sessions volume one and uh, it's a unique project that's originated out of your monthly membership club. So for some of our listeners who may not be familiar with what that's about, um, can you tell us a little bit about how all that works? Yeah, so it's basically people pay uh, a monthly membership fee and I make a short documentary around uh, something that's happened or a person and I write a song around that uh, as well. So the documentary kind of shows the process of what it is and how I write the song and, and then how I record it. And then and so they get the song and the video and a live, uh, uh, an online live show where it's really become a pretty cool community because I'll do the show and we all talk and, and I'll do it on a private Facebook group so that uh, they can ask for certain, you know, they can ask for songs and, and uh, it's, it's, it's fun. And it's become kind of almost uh, like a family to a creative family. And uh, I'll go to them a lot of times if I'm having even some creative issues. And, and uh, it's been a really cool interaction. I found one of, one of the biggest problems I found in, in music and, pop music especially, was that, uh, you know, there's all these barriers between the people that listen to music and the people that make it. And um, and on top of that, it's feast or famine. So you're either pushing something to create, you know, you have to create a 10-song record. Um, but as a creator, as a writer, you're thinking about music all day, every day. And different things inspire you. So it's not difficult to find something once a month, you know, um, because that's how, I mean, I think it's a pretty natural approach. So it's been really, uh, really cool to create 
with uh, these members, and and I didn't I didn't really think it all the way through. But but what's really ended up happening is that they have they have basically paid for this record. You know, I, I was able to hire a mixer for every song, an engineer, and I'm in a studio for uh, much of the music and even hiring players. Sometimes a lot of these songs I've, I've almost, I've played every single instrument, which has been a lot of fun, but, um, it's a fan funded record. Um, so it really allowed me to be, uh, creative to not have to think about, uh, what is the label going to like this? How are they going to release it? Um, you know, all of the yucky things that, uh, prof- us professional artists have to sometimes take into consideration. So it's been a very freeing process. So it's turned out to kind of be a, a twist on the crowdfunding approach. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I fa- I saw other platforms that did kind of similar things, but I really wanted to feel like it was in house for me um, and not using necessarily like a Patreon or, or a, or you know one of those other kinds of sites and so it's become uh you know the way i set it up was really that just just something that was that was mine or my my take on that idea and and uh as i stumbled through it (laughs) so it's been really cool yeah it sounds like it's really worked out well and and just to be clear for the audience so even though this was a private membership in the creation now, um, you know, at the end of last year, start of this year, you're releasing the whole thing to the general public. So you don't have to be a member now to to purchase this album, Casey Sessions Volume One, right? Right. So this was my first season of songs and videos, you know, and um, it turned out to be uh, when I played them all together, I said, "Well, it's like, well, this is a record, you know," and uh, so uh, the members were all very excited to have it released to the public and very proud of it as well because they if it wasn't for them it wouldn't have existed you know so now it's yeah now it's out now it's out there in the ether anybody can love it or hate it you know and uh and it's great it's it's great it's very you know again it's freeing to be able to kind of release that out to everybody yeah, and it's really cool to hear about the dynamic between you and the members and how that's more of a family now. And uh, I'm curious, does has this club then impacted you as a songwriter in general moving forward from here on out? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest impact that it's made for me is that I don't really need to care about what people think about my music what's what matters to them is that i do something that's creative and especially you know in not now getting to be in this beautiful progressive rock community um it it uh, it's been very freeing to see uh people's joy uh in in when you experiment with something as opposed to just trying to write the perfect pop song, which is kind of how I was brought up in the music scene. Yeah, so this has been a real freeing experience for you, sounds like. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I see on the 
on the new album that's been released that your song White Matter Recess was produced by Alan Parsons. How, how did that come about? <laughs> well, so uh, one of the studios that I will, uh, you know, will, will produce or record or do things at, it's called Orb. Um, there's Ice Cream Factory and Orb are kind of the two main ones I, I use around Austin. And uh, Alan was doing a master class. And so my buddy who owns that studio um, offered up me as the guy that, you know, he does the master class with. And so Alan and I really enjoyed doing that together where he just basically shows a group of people how he goes through the process of producing a song. So that's, I, I figured having one of the sessions about working with Alan uh, was, uh, you know, would be a really cool uh, ordeal. So that, that turned out to be, uh, uh, that's kind of the twist of all this stuff is you never really know what's going to happen next month, you know? Yeah, that's really exciting. So other, <laughs> yeah, otherwise I would never, have, you know, I would never have, have, been able to do that mm -hmm. so. yeah do you plan on releasing a new volume each year after the the club goes through a cycle of another 12 songs i think so yeah so we just finished one cycle of a group of new songs and we're starting a new one you know, start kind of a new one every january um and so i have i got to go through those tunes this will be you know number two and i need to look at you know, if I need to re-record anything or have something mixed differently or, you know, um, it's, I'm, this is, <laughs> this is new for me. So I'll see if, if, uh, number two works as well as number one. Yeah. That's a great model you've got going. This is fantastic. Um, and on that, on the, the first volume, you've got a totally new offering on it with the track stillness for humans, which is, a 14-minute guided meditation with ambient music playing in the background. How did that direction come about? Well, I will tell you at first that some fans were not very happy about that. They got really excited when they saw a 15-minute long song. <laughs> thought that maybe Surprise! It was a frog epic. <laughs> and uh, it certainly was not. Um, in terms of your traditional prog epic 15-minute uh, track, but, you know, that month I was experiencing a lot of stress and really looking about how to manage it. And one of the violin players I work with very closely, Brian, um, called him up and, and asked him if, if uh, he'd be willing to teach me how to meditate. And I thought, well, here's my next month, mm. you know, my next uh, case session video, because it's something I've never done before. Um, I have a lot of respect for Brian as a musician um, and uh, just as a human being. So that, you know, there's a kind of a, there's also a 15 minute documentary around him teaching me how to meditate. And then basically what we did is we went into the studio and, um, and press, set up all the mics. I set up a, a, a arpeggiator, um, keyboard, analog keyboard, a piano, and uh, mic'd his violin up. And 
we just pr had the engineer press record after we got good sounds and said, okay, let's see what 15, let's just see what a, a meditation song that comes out of us after having meditated, what is that going to sound like? And we had no idea. So we, this was literally, uh, it's a single take. Um, we had no plan and, um, we just pressed into the sounds and the uh, kind of concepts that he laid out earlier. Um, and it, I just, I, I really loved it. And so then we overdubbed his voice um, of how he kind of guided me through meditation. So I do have another track without that guide, which I'll probably release for free to the people that have bought records. Um, in case they want to practice their own meditation without a, a, a voice in the background. Um, but it became a really beautiful uh, kind of drone uh, uh, soundscape. Um, you can hear some of the crazy things he can do with the violin. And, um, and I really enjoy it. Like, you can also see that, well, you can hear that I'm picking some of the strings with my hands on the piano because I opened up the face of the piano. And so I'm playing the piano strings with my fingers, um, not just on the keys. So there was a lot of creative kind of uh, trial through just, just a first run. And we're like, well, there it is. Sounds pretty cool to me. Wow, did it feel natural for you to include that in this collection, or were you unsure how it no, would be received? No, <laughs> it didn't at all. I uh, I would uh, I would never in my right mind ever think that it was okay to release something like that to the public, or even create something like that for that matter. But because of the way the process works with the case sessions, it just makes you think about music and why you're making it differently. Hmm. And so this was, you said you had just learned how to meditate yourself. So you're really jumping in, like the listeners are jumping in with you to this. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's not, you know, and it's, I think that it's, what really fascinated me was all the scientific research I had heard previously about meditation. And I tend to be a little ADD. Um, I'm, a, I'm a workaholic. Um, I drink a lot of caffeine. You know, and so the idea of sitting still and thinking about nothing for 15 minutes was just sounded like torture, mm -hmm. you know. So thinking about what music would help facilitate that sort of peace of mind um, and studies show that if you're able to do that um, on any sort of consistent level that your brain chemistry changes. Mm -hmm. your health changes your outlook on life changes and uh and what's music you know how much hope and and uh and and change it facilitates for us in our own lives so and that way it really did feel right to put that on but i figured let's put that on at the end yeah <laughs> just in case you don't want to go through the whole thing yeah know? Well, hopefully the title, at least having stillness for humans in there, will maybe convey to people, some people, that it's not a uh, involved prog epic of 15 minutes or something like that. 
and they won't, right. won't be right. too shocked. Yeah. Uh, well, kind of branching off from there, uh, from the meditation world, can you tell us a little bit about the intersection of music and spirituality in your life? Yeah, I mean, I music is the bridge for me to the pursuit of anything spiritual in my life. And I think primarily because um, spiritual concepts are very, well, they're esoteric. And as soon as you put a definition on them, they disappear and they become a rule and they, they dry up almost. And the amazing thing about music is it, it's not, uh, by definition, it is able to be interpreted and felt differently depending on who is interpreting and feeling it, which um, I feel like spiritual practices are very similar in that way. Depending on what your experience is, what you've gone through, the, the uh, culture that you've uh, grown up in and um, gives you a unique perspective on God or uh, on pursuing, you know, things past what you can see, touch, feel, and hear, you know. And um, and so music has always been that for me ever since I was a kid, a one, a kind of cry of the soul. So I'm able to, you know, I'm able to, to voice things that I can't actually uh, articulate in a conversation or a sentence. Um, and two, I'm able to kind of uh, pursue um, uh, deepening my, uh, I guess, spiritual desire. And I, I, I'm even hesitant to say understanding because the, the older I get, it feels like the less I know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's been a huge conduit for that for me. Um, always has been, and I'm sure always will. Yeah, beautiful. A uh, comment I often hear about your voice is the vulnerable and emotional tone that you convey. And part of that is, you know, you're not afraid to use your falsetto. How did uh, you cultivate that technique of and comfortability with using your falsetto so much? Well, you know, it's funny you say that. When I was younger, uh, you know, being I was raised in uh, Lake Jackson, Texas, a very conservative uh, kind of coastal Texas town, and you know, then there were no you didn't know any gay people. You didn't know any men in dresses or, you know, women in suits. And um, the idea of a man singing in his his falsetto would be just absolutely ridiculed. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a man, you sing like a man. And, and, And when I heard, the first time I heard Jeff Buckley's record, Grace. Yeah, there you go. It broke all that for me. Mm-hmm. And I saw that the beauty of, because a falsetto is typically, you might say, it conveys a more feminine side. It conveys a more um, vulnerable uh, uh, 
almost there, you know, and when you talk about Jeff, it's, you know, an angelic sort of thing, you know, and he gave me permission to speak out of that place uh, that was me, you know, and, and not care about, you know, whether how people thought about me because I sang that way. And it became a very integral part for me vocally um, when there's a particular emotion that I'm expressing. Mm -hmm. Do you find that it's easier for you to convey that emotion when you're doing, you know, a solo gig or or with cello accompaniment or something, um, as opposed to being like on the stage with flying colors? Is is it more of a challenge to you to convey that when you're in front of a big group like that? Um, I don't think so. Now, now how it's received may be different, you know. Um, I do think when, you know, there is, when I get to turn up the distortion, um, I have a, a, diff, a different feeling than when I'm playing on a piano with a cello player, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in terms of the vulnerability, I do think it is more difficult to be vulnerable um, just based how we set up performance venues with lights and smoke and and uh, and it becomes more of a uh, you know an epic adventure uh, from a stage to a fan with a big band and and uh, lights and and big shows so it's a, I think it may even be like a different type of vulnerability. But when you're sitting there with very little effects on your voice and in a room, you know, I did like a little house show tour in Europe and America last summer, and it was extre- extremely vulnerable. Um, and I, I think it's just a, it's a different it's a different type mm-hmm. of of uh, emotional expression, but terms of emotion no it's it's no different for me you know especially when you have steve moore soloing uh next to your voice i don't think there's any emotion i can't i can't tap into when that's (laughs) happening (laughs) yeah well well your next opportunity to do something like that's just a few weeks away on the cruise to the edge you're going to be singing with the sea within and i know that's right yeah i know you guys have played just one live show so far last summer, and um, this is going to be the second time. What what's that experience been like for you? Well, I mean, it's a lot more difficult to learn someone else's music than it is to create your own. I can tell you that much. Yeah. So I have a, I have a, a lot of respect for those people that are that are covering any type of music. And what was interesting though, when they first asked me. Uh, I began to listen to the record and realized that much of Daniel's emotional experience was very similar to mine. So it was not hard at all for me to attach my story into uh, into all of that music. And in fact, that it it gets so emotional for me this the this record with the Sea Within that that there. The, this last show at Lorelei, I was even fighting back some tears at one point. Um, 
you could, I could feel I was channeling something that I had not experienced before in, in another band, uh, just something different. And so for that, I have so much, and I have so much respect for those guys, you know, um, Royna and Marco and Jonas, Tony, um, are just incredible musicians and incredible dudes. So it's, uh, it's a pretty epic show, you know? Yeah. So we've had a, uh, and Daniel and I's voice really, uh, we have a similar range. Um, you can tell he's been knocked down a few times and so have I. And so it was easy in that sense, easy emotionally, mm-hmm. not easy to rehearse, <laughs> but easy emotionally. Yeah, yeah. How, how do you yeah. go about rehearsals for that? Do you guys go just earlier to Tampa before the ship sails and rehearse right there, or something else? Yeah, you know, we spend uh, we spend our time alone before we get there, and then we'll have a couple of days that we uh, spend in the studio, um, just um, making sure we're all playing in the same key. <laughs> right. At this point, are there any future plans for that band? Um, we're not sh- sure. We're kind of taking it one thing at a time, but I think we've talked about maybe doing a record, uh, doing, doing a number two or trying to put a tour together at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it was just a really fantastic debut album to come out. And, um, I love hearing about the seamless transition from you, from Daniel to you, especially in that emotional range of the of the vocals, as you were saying. So hopefully something can continue there. Yeah, I've, I've really been enjoying it. So I, I would I would love that as well. Yeah. Are you planning on singing with anyone else on the cruise this time? Um, maybe. I'm just not allowed to say at the moment. Gotcha. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's it's been uh, stunning. I, I think there's been at least two cruises you've been on where it's been you pretty much doing a, a solo uh, set or you with, with the cello. And those have been uh, beautifully powerful um, in that context. So it, it'll be nice for you to have the, the range now of going back on with uh, The Sea Within. And of course, you were on with flying colors for Mike's surprise birthday bash a couple years ago mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I'm honestly really looking forward to to plugging my electric in and and rocking out on that boat. You know, we're playing uh some of those I think we're playing the pool stage and the uh Pacifica the the, the big that's the theater, yeah. The, yeah, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to playing both of those with the with this music you know i think it'll be great that'll be really nice to get you in both those contexts and a really nice theater and and outdoors on a pool stage where everyone can just you know rock out and really enjoy it yeah because i've loved i really love watching haken on that pool stage at night yeah love those guys and and love their creativity so yeah they they definitely own that stage at night don't they Yep, they do. Yeah. Um, and then we have the recording sessions for the third Flying Colors album. Uh, where are you, all of you guys in that process? Have, have you started recording the vocals yet on there? No. In fact, Neil just texted me about uh, a couple hours ago. We're, we're 
uh, he and I are trying to find time to get together to keep working on the lyrics. He and I spent a lot of time lyrically on the Flying Colors music. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, it's it's funny because we're, we both can throw lyrics all day long um, to each other, but we both want to love it. So um, usually we're in the studio together. This time we're going to use Google Docs and, and, and really just kind of throw things out on all these songs. But it's, it's, a, it's a Flying Colors number three record. You're going to hear some, some, some signature Flying Colors things, and then you're going to hear some things that, that you haven't heard before, you know. And, uh, and that's just the nature of this band but at the very heart of it they're all really great songs you know mm-hmm. and uh i just i'm i know it's a band i'm in but i'm also a fan <laughs> <laughs> so um, i'm excited for the record to come the music and the record to come into fruition yeah well it's easy to be a fan of a fan of your bandmates when you've got personnel like that involved so it's understandable yeah. Yeah. How how was the flow of the yeah? How was the flow of the band when you reconvened in December? Did the long break and in, in songwriting make it difficult to complete the album, or were there even more song ideas floating around? We have never had a problem with that. Mm. It's just not. That's this. It's more of what we want to choose, and it's that's the really unique thing about this group is the energy that happens. There is so much creativity going through the room that that it's more about and Mike helps a lot with this is which direction do we take? Mm-hmm. Um, not what direction do you, you know, is there a direction to take? And so that's that makes it so much fun because the whole time we're in there, we're working, you know, and 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 discovering what's about to happen. And uh you know, there's not one person in that room that doesn't have, doesn't fully bring it to the table. So you never know where it's going to come from. It could come from Dave, Steve, me, Neil, Mike. And, uh, you know, the egos are checked at the door. So we just look for the best one. Mm-hmm. If if the first Flying Colors album was more melodic rock than many expected, and, and then the second album turned in a little more progressive direction, um, could you say anything about the direction of the third album? <laughs> I don't really even know yet. It's really hard to say, uh, just because we, I haven't heard, uh, Mike and Dave's parts, Steve and Neil are currently laying theirs down. And so I'm, I think it's taking shape as we talk, nice. you know, so we shall see. Nice. Yeah. Well, aside from all these supergroups, are you recording your own progressive rock album? Yeah, I have about four songs right now, and it's it's a challenge for me that I really want to be able to succeed in. I've been talking to some different players and um, and a couple of different labels, but I wanted to do a proper prog record um, this next year. So I'm letting it, I don't want to force it um, for it to come out too early but yeah that's definitely a dream of mine now since i've caught the bug and what is my version of this scene 
um, because it's been in my blood ever since I was a kid. I just didn't know it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and uh, and so I'm I'm I have I have a good grip of songs right now. I, I just probably need about four or five, about four more um, to really complete the record. And I don't have Mike uh, sitting around. Uh, uh, with, with his incredible ability to make decisions at a split second. So I get to sit there and mull over, is this good? Is this not good? Right. Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? So it's taking me a little bit longer, but it's going to be cool. I'm excited about it. Sweet. You've got a lot of exciting irons in the fire and uh, different areas of your creativity that that enable you to come out musically. Um, anything else you want to tell us about that we haven't covered yet? No, just, you know, pick up that uh, Case Sessions Volume 1 and, and, you know, it's really cheap to be a monthly member. So if anyone wants to try it out, you can always try it out. You can always cancel it. And uh, I'd love to um, I'd love to add some people to the family, you know. Yeah. And what website should they go to to sign up for that? So you can go to casesessions.com or alpharev.com to uh, to find it. Wonderful. Great. Well, thanks so much for for taking some time. And uh, for those of us going on the cruise to the edge, we'll see you up there in a few weeks. And good luck with the rehearsals between now and then. Thanks a bunch, brother. I'll see you soon. Sweet. All right. Thanks, Casey. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening, everyone. This is Scott Medina for Sonic Perspectives. Hope you enjoy this interview with Casey, and we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel for Sonic Perspectives, or like us on Facebook or Twitter to get the latest interviews, reviews, and news. We're going to close this session with a track from Casey's latest album. This is called Write Your Name. Waiting in the wild You're in the clear
I chose.